You have clicked that pile of audio gold known as the Half-Assed Podcast. And now, here's a person to say something. Special Super Drunk Edition. So, we, we did put together... We put together a... Uh, what is this? Cartoon characters pre-1975? Yes, sir. That's the parameters. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, so top five and uh, and also OLI would be one of those. Yep. Uh, but before we get to OLI, oh, goddamn Cottonmouth. Hang on. My tongue just slapping on the roof of my mouth. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> okay. More water. <clears throat> Van Gundy. Okay. I feel better. Um, before we get to OLI, uh, special mention. I said this earlier, Captain Caveman. He was going to go very high on my board, but a cursory Google search said he does not fit our parameters. And son. Oh, no shit. Captain Caveman. Caveman. And son. Oh, no shit. God, I didn't remember that. Hey, youngster, knock that shit off. (laughs) You're hang with me, you gotta bring it. I just remember the catchphrase. And now, the Half-Assed Podcast Super Drunk Edition proudly presents Top 5 Cartoon Characters Pre-1975. Alright, let's head to number 5. Speaking of Hanna-Barbera, I will kick us off with a classic from the, the Hair Bear Bunch. Square Bear. Coming in at number five. Good call. Explain who Hair Bear might be for those of us who are older than thee. Uh, voiced by uh, William Calloway, apparently. Um, he was kind of the uh, bucket hat stoner subversive character, you know, from the 70s. But they didn't come out and say that he was stone, but he talked like this. So it was yeah, Scooby Doo. If you want to, it was, it was, throw that down implications so that was my number five was square bear excellent number five for me is henry hawk the little baby chicken hawk on looney tunes who always tried to eat foghorn leghorn's leg oh love that guy i'm a chicken hawk i'm gonna eat you he was badass that guy had a pair he did Cojones were his his jam for sure. (laughs) Not a single fuck given. Oh, I didn't know that was his name. That's delightful. I feel great. Number four for you then. All right. Number number four. I'm sticking in the Hanna-Barbera universe. It's Space Gold. Voiced by Gary Owens, oh, in the uh, just a classic voiceover guy, and then of course in the '90s, George Lowe takes over and just hits it out of the park with Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Epic the, character. The Space Ghost before the Sharks came in was more my jam, right? Space Ghost in his scooter with his junior assistant was where it was at for me. <laughs> so the original. I loved. I loved the classic. Yeah, yeah, and when it when it came back out in the nineties, like I said, just 
sealed the deal, hit it into the second, into the stratosphere. Great. How many oil eyes may I have? Is my question for you. As many as you want. It's our world. Superman. Excellent. Let's revel in it. Number four, going back to the Looney Tunes era. Mm. Ralph and Sam, the dogs who would beat the shit out of Wiley Coyote. Oh, the dogs. Man, Ralph and Sam. And every 12 hours, they changed shifts. Morning, (laughs) Sam. Morning, Ralph. Morning, Sam. Morning, Ralph. Yes! I I started overthinking this list. And then once I, I kind of pulled back and looked big picture, and I was like, you know what? Number three is Yosemite Sam. Absolute. Ah, I mean... Oh. Exactly. My youth, uh, all I wanted to hear was, I hates that fucking rabbit. It just, I wanted that. Never drop the F bomb. I'm pretty no, sure. No, I just, I wanted it so bad though, because you could just, the frustration in Sam, I could, I could feel it. Yep. Voiced by oh. Mel Blank. I forgot to throw that in. Mel Blank wanna... did all the Looney Tunes for all I the did... years. Which I said, absolutely amazing. My list is is really based a lot on the voice talent and Mel Blanc. Like you said, everybody. All right. Sorry. Number three, Jerry Mouth. Produced Ooh. by Fred Quimby. Sure, sure. You smack each other with the pipes and the rakes and Tom, Jerry, the cat. And right. my favorite one of all time is when they got along. And would do the orchestras in New York. The cat would play and the mouse would dance. Um, it was amazing. Tom and Jerry. Jerry Mouse was my number three. Jerry. Oh, that's see, like I said, I try not to overthink it because I try to get cute. Um, but I'm gonna come back, like you said, like like you said, your producer, the way they do it, like Tex Avery immediately comes to mind with a style yeah, the auga eyeballs like there's a exactly there's a way it's drawn and animated that you you feel i get what you're saying with that pick spot on and in that vein of not overthinking it i went with number two shaggy from uh the original scooby-doo like wow scoob that was casey Kasem. By Casey Kasem. Thank you. Exactly where I'm going. Like the voice talent on this list, that's so money because long distance requesting word is jonesing. (laughs) And she wrote, Dear Casey, on the American Top 40. Like Casey, that guy was, that was my youth. Like Sunday night, hearing who's finishing in the top, like, I, I took that, uh, like, I'm going to school tomorrow. The, who was the top five? I know. I listened all the way through. I should have been asleep. But damn it, Casey Kasem was still fucking talking. So I'm listening. Yep. Very good. Well, my number two continues in the, the Fred Quimby era of 1950s animation. Uncle Pecos from Tom and Jerry. Who had the infamous Crambone episode, wherein he would sing a country song 
And when his string would break, he would reach the TV screen and grab Tom's whiskers and restring his guitar. Crambo. Oh, shit. I am unfamiliar with this. Google that shit. You will love it. It it sounds delightful. Man, like I said, Tom and Jerry is a blind spot for me. I've seen them, but I'm not an aficionado like I was with Looney Tunes. So it's let me get to my number one then. Because after a list comprised of just absolutely immaculate voice talent, uh, guys that just deliver, even you know, multiple people doing the same voice and one person doing a million other voices. We rest at number one with Wild E. Coyote. After a list of that talent, that coyote can accomplish with an expression and a sign what the best voice talent can maybe get. Like, he is so good. He is able to do so many things. Like I'm trying to picture Charlie Chaplin delivering to that next generation. The operas with Bugs Bunny were quintessentially amazing. That's... I learned about Flight of the Valkyries and, <laughs> yeah. and so many other things. Um, killed a wabbit. Killed, killed a wabbit. Yeah. So good. Excellent. Well, then, we shall continue along and talk about my number one favorite pre-1975 cartoon character. It was Jerry Mouse's baby cousin who always fought the French. Alouette, 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 and she would, he would also always come and show up at Jerry's house, and Jerry would have to raise him every time. Either it was, he was either as a duck or as a mouse or whatever else, and he would always take on the cats and the mouses, and he would take them on and say, Alouetta! And he had a little, little saber, a little three-musketeer saber, and a me, me, me. And uh, he's absolutely amazing. He had no name that I can find, but... Uh, he was produced also by Fred Quimby, who was the quintessential producer for Tom and Jerry from 1951 through 1958. Okay. The classic Tom and Jerry's that we can find today on the internet. Right. Uh, Fred Quimby hated Tom and Jerry. He hated <laughs> the idea of it. He Real. hated everything about cartoons. Like, too low and yet he was brown. a producer at Warner Brothers. Because remember, if, the, if you watch the old stuff, you can see they will show Academy Award winner 1954, 1957, 1958. They won right. Academy Awards for these shows back in the day. And he's got like total disdain for the he format. He hates it all. And, like, yeah, children yeah. are terrible and I hate them all. Like, oh, and, uh, and so for him to come and go was amazing. But here's the thing. As a small child, I grew up relatively isolated. Only child. No parents that had interest in things other than working. And I learned to read by watching cartoons. <laughs> so I learned cursive by the card they would throw out there at the end of the show, produced by Fred with a Quimby. Oh, that giant, giant, oh, the giant cursive yeah, Q. Quimby. Loved it. Yep. And dun, 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 dun. And I always show up. I would quit doing my chores, run in and watch the show. 
And that's where I learned about Tom and Jerry. And they are my number one favorite by far end all be all kicked ass, killed it all cartoons. And I will take it to my grave. That's I learned how to tell time by cartoons. That's uh, my mom said when uh, I knew when Woody Woodpecker came on that uh, school was over and my brothers and sisters would be coming home soon. So it yep. was like, Oh, three o'clock Woody Woodpecker, like the, the good old TV schedule. Yeah. The, the TV schedule was good. The good old days were not that good. <laughs> no, no. Three channels. And well, you could get into that UHF shit too, but there, there was nothing up there. Yeah. Well, what was ever up there that you wanted to watch? We only had wrestling. Like I learned, my, I came I learned on my, UHF? WWE, my WWF stuff on, on UHF. And we had a Saturday show that some local doofus tried to do a comedian show about a cheesy horror movie or a sci-fi movie. So I, I saw all my, all my, um, Godzilla, all my Superman and all my greatest American hero on, on UHF. Okay. Through, through the prism of some jackass making fun of it. Believe it or not. I'm I'm walking walking on it. Can I believe it's me? Flying uh, away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just, it's just me. me. <laughs> also, believe it or not, George isn't at home. Leave a message <laughs> at the feet. I do know that. Yeah. So there we have our top five cartoons. And I could go for days on cartoons. They really, they really created my life. Like, I'm the same, man. I yeah. mean, uh, when I was a kid, I also <laughs> like the Carol Burnett show. They had that cartoon at the end of like her sweeping. I would skip mm-hmm. the entire show, but when the credits rolled, I would come in for that part. And like, I don't watch the cartoon, and then all right, I'm out. Pink Panther, like they would have the animation at the beginning. <laughs> Soon as that was over and the movie started, see y'all later. I want to miss my records. <laughs> Mr. Magoo, classic. Oh, oh, hello there. I'm gonna oh, let's walk around the around the state there and do some things. Haha, yeah. <laughs> uh, we are returned. Uh, that was a very gratifying urination. I think the Stones thing was kind of okay. You got your top five? I do. I got my top five. We might as well hammer through these. And now the half-assed podcast super drunk edition proudly presents top five Rolling Stones songs. All right. Number five Rolling Stones song of all time. I'm going to liken it to my childhood. It was a CBS show called Tour of Duty. And the opening song for that show was Painted Black by the Rolling Stones. Oh. Classic. I got arrows. Arrows. Messing with my shit. Uh, Looks like at number five, according to this arrow, I've gone with, you can't always get what you want. I didn't want to be too on the nose on these, but uh, it's just kind of undeniable. I saw her today at the reception with a glass of wine in her hand. My favorite part is in line of the pharmacy with Mr. Jimmy. <laughs> Those are good lyrics, right? They were 
good lyrics and they're good slow blues licks. Undeniable. Yeah. I had to throw in Honky Tonk Woman. Much like Shelter, you just don't get the lyrics until you listen to them. You know, Honky Tonk Woman. And so uh, that's my number four. It's uh it's a weak number four, but it's it's in the top five, so I'll I'll live with it. Uh for my number four, I went with uh one that I'm actually more particular to as a cover, uh Dead Flowers. Guns N' Roses covered that live on a Japanese import in the mid-90s. Okay. It's Chef's Kiss. Of course, Axel took some liberties with the lyrics, but it was a uh, big fan. Dead Flowers. Okay. I love, like, I love, I think I love covers more than original songs by the bands I love. Like, I love a band because of their sound. And then when they, when they put their sound on a cover, I just dig that so much. It depends. I'm hit and miss with them. It's got to be, uh, and some songs just can't be covered. Well, no, that's, that's fair. Like uh, I heard somebody did like it. I don't know. It was like a reggae version of wish you were here. And I no, 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 like no, no, no. started pulling the hair out of my head. I literally, <laughs> I, yeah, I left the party. I went home. I was like, I, you, I'm fucking out of here. And that was the end of that. Um, that's fair. I still, I can feel the blood pressure rise when I just mentioned it. Where do we leave? We leave on three. I'm on to my number three. Yes. This is a song, again, most of my Rolling Stone songs are viscerally related to my life. So I was in college and I was placed in a dormitory on the soccer floor and I got to meet my first Colombian nationals. These, these young guys were so good at soccer and their English was not even a secondary language. They, they had Spanish, of course, was their, was their native tongue. They spoke French. They spoke oh, um, wow. something else and then English, right? But they always they always played "Hey You Get Off My Cloud" by the Rolling Stones, and so for me, it's always been one of my favorite songs. Because it's like "Hey Hey You You Get Off of My Cloud," you know, and it's of course been you know that cadence has been 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 stolen by cheerleaders and other right. things over the million years. times, yeah. But uh, but that one is was one of my favorite ones because it was just it was just really legitimately legitimately sincere for people who are trying to get their way in the world. That was my first exposure to not being white, not being from where you were, and being you know, ambitious and talented and working hard. Because I grew up in total, total <laughs> world of, you know, separate but equal was what my, what my parents thought would be the right thing to happen in the world. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That would be abrupt. For number three, I landed on this absolutely delicious country spoof of faraway eyes oh absolutely yeah. love that track I, I i remember laughing at a couple of the lines but the music still holds together it's not just a throwaway track right. it's well done uh the joke sits it's it's chef's yep. kiss no, that's a great that's a great option. There were a ton of songs I didn't pick that were, you know, bluesy, amazingly well produced songs. But again, because I was trying to commit to a 
a visceral feel or, or reality. I'll also go back to um, 11th grade composition. We were, I took a creative writing class and we had to do uh, songs that moved us and also had interesting things. And the example who the, who the teacher had, who I thought was the coolest teacher ever, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a 10th grader <laughs> in rural Ohio. Now, this teacher rolls out. Mr. Gilder was his name. He's probably, oh, he's got to be dead by now. <laughs> right. But, uh, he, he rolls out this song. He says, hey, this is a group. They're called the Rolling Stones. Um, also, hey, kids, listen to the words. Don't listen to the music. Sympathy for the devil. That's my number two. And to this wow. day, I think about anesthesia, you know, screaming in pain. And I think about the Duke and his ministers. And it's just such a great allegory for, well, one, history, but also the allegory of pushing through the world and fighting the fights that, that happen your way. So that's my number two. And um, it's really, really good. And I'll listen to it a lot. I'm almost hindered by the scope of my familiarity with their catalog. But um, if the last one I picked was kind of a, a deep cut, the next one is going the other direction. Wild Horses. Just amazing. Um, another one that I've heard covered well, but the original stands so good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, every aspect. You know, it's funny to me that the Wild Horses is, strikes me as an Eagles song, not a Rolling Stones song. Really? Like, yeah. That was more more for their jam than the than like the, the superior version, or just like, you know, you, you just know, like the familiar fantastic version. guitar, you know mellow singing it kind of just fit for me it's always fit the eagles better even right, though i don't know that they've right. ever really done a, a strong cover of it or anything else but but uh yeah that does seem like their wheelhouse yeah so for me i always i always loved the reckless rolling stones like that's that was my <laughs> kind of enjoyment of them as we made yeti talk about you know if the beatles were buttoned down and and uh enjoyable then the rolling stones were the ones who were were causing problems yeah the herald all unfurled about, all willy-nilly, like, oh, oh. Well, as hair unfurled willy-nilly, I have a thing about that. You might have noticed. But, uh, <laughs> oh, dude, name. I used so. to, man. That's... Back when Long Ron was around. Yeah, <laughs> Long Ron had hair. He had, <laughs> uh, he had the little dreadies. Was... Oh, so long ago. So the number one song, we've hit around it all night, was Yeti's number five. Is your number four? You can't always get what you want. Is literally, in my opinion, the greatest Rolling Stones song because it combines everything they have: strong songwriting, plus decent music, plus coverability. And like I said, if you haven't seen Hot Tuna or Rusted Root play this song, you're not doing yourself justice because it's it's great. It's absolutely yeah, fantastic. Yeah, Papa John preach. I see you, brother. Yeah. So that's where I live out. Um, we can do our top five '90s rap songs later. Oh wow! 
Uh, I could I could dig into that too. But before we get to that, I'll close out number one. Um, man, just the guitar tone, the the simple yet effective uh, guitar line on it. Beast of Burden absolutely hammers me somewhere right here in the chest cavity every single time it comes on. Also in the plums. Oh, it does. It's it's that guitar. Oh, there's a rattle to it. I'll never be. <sighs> yeah, I feel it. I feel it. But they're so they're good. they're their um appropriation of all the music that I loved from that era is one thing why I, lo- I love the Rolling Stones. Like I'll take the Stones and I'll take I'll take Pink Floyd over yeah. over anything. And then in third place of course is is always for me Zeppelin. Uh but then you move you move two years forward, and then it becomes Queen, Queen, nothing else. So it's really interesting to watch how that comes together. But yes, absolutely, I love I love the Rolling Stones. I really like the Beatles. Make sure that's in the in the podcast. You can put that in the introduction. <laughs> I love the Beatles, and yet they weren't. I don't. I can't give them all the credit that other people want to. Right? That's where I'm at. <sighs> I I have an odd relationship with the Beatles. I guess I compare uh, Sergeant Peppers to uh, Bill Hicks. Oh, goes with comedy. Yeah, it's if you listen to Bill Hicks, you say, "So what? This is what everybody does," and you're like, "Yeah, it's what everybody does now." But before Bill Hicks did that shit. That wasn't what everybody did. Sergeant yeah. Peppers is the same way, but you hear it and you're like, big fucking deal. Did like, you ever watch? What? Did you ever have to watch the Yellow Submarine cartoon on ABC after school special? No, I have the I have the movie on DVD, but I have never seen that. Yeah, that was an after school special that I had to watch wow. when I came home from my little class. No it way. Was- yeah, it was Yellow Submarine, and then it, then it, then it morphed into the uh, uh, a advertisement for Sgt. Pepper. But yes. What was, what was the after school? Don't take too many hits of the acid kids. Like, we what, all live in it. It was like, like yeah, literally the benefits of living in a Yellow Submarine. Like, what? Yeah, don't, live in a, don't live in a submarine and don't be a naval officer because it's YMCA, <laughs> plus also don't be gay. I think that's what right. it's supposed to be. Right, right. Yeah, and you won't like to be confined in a submarine if you eat all that acid. It's going to be very restrictive. You're probably going to panic. Don't yeah. do those things do together. Yeah. yeah, that's probably what the lesson was. Yeah, but we could also do our our, our favorite cartoons. You know, pre 1960. We do our <laughs> favorite cartoons. You know, post post uh, post 1975 and pre South Park. Oh. Wow. You got to cut it because I can't do okay. Bojack Horseman. I can't do all that sort of stuff that you guys have out there in the world. It's not my oh, jam. Bojack. Family uh, Bo- guy. Not my thing. Bojack got me right in the feelings. <laughs> that was awesome. painful. Yeah. yeah. I, had a, I had quite a reckoning <laughs> when I went through <laughs> Bojack Horseman. I wound up in therapy. It was. Why is a cartoon horse making me question everything about my life? This is a problem. <laughs> yeah. 